The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. You're all familiar with uh, John 13, 34, where Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Remember what the new commandment is? Yeah, to love one another as I have loved you. And so that means we should love one another enough to lay down our lives for each other. That is there, and just a few chapters later, there's another, throughout this whole section, chapter 14 and 15, he talks about what it's like for people to love one another the way Jesus did, because that's, that's a quite a topic. How are we supposed to love each other when we're told to love each other the way Christ loved us? I'd like to have you look at a few places. First of all, in 15, chapter 15, this is John, John 15, verse 12, uh, he says in fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you can be sure that when you are being loved by one of the disciples of Jesus, as he's following in the steps of Jesus, you'll be accepted just the way you are. That sounds strange. I don't know. I think I told this somewhere in church, probably. Dwight L. Moody showed up at his church in Chicago, and here was this guy that he had met in Europe who was a pickpocket. He was a world-renowned pickpocket. He, he was really good at it. But he had come to faith in Christ, and so he had asked Moody if he could possibly give his testimony at his church. So what Moody did, he said, I'll have you do this. I'll have you speak on Sunday evening in the basement, uh, and so that way it wouldn't do too much damage, I think is what he thought. And when he came back home, he asked his wife, because he was out of town when this happened. When he came home, he asked his wife, how did he do? And he said, well, you need to listen to it, but he doesn't preach like you. He says, what do you mean? She said, well, he says that God loves sinners. <laughs> and, and Moody said, no, he doesn't. Now, he didn't say that later in his ministry, but he said it this time. No, God doesn't love sinners. Uh, You've got to get your life straightened out for God to love you. And, of course, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says what God did, he sent his son into the world in order that he might die for us and bring us to faith in Christ. And now he, did, he wouldn't have to die for us if we weren't sinners. We were sinners and we were fallen. And the Bible talks about this fallenness that we have experienced. It's affected us in all kinds of ways. And so we're told here that this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that we're supposed to love one another the way he does. So we, we are loved and accepted just the way that you are. That's how believers will love you. They'll love you in the same way. Now, will all believers live up to that? No. No, they won't. But uh, you can pray that they will because it's God's will. And it's what he's told us clearly that should take place. And this is the new commandment that we are to be known by. In fact, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another the way I've loved you. We understand this is a vitally important aspect of a local church, that it's built with people who learn to love one another the way Christ loved them. And then you'll also be allowed to be open and transparent. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, your wife may not be able to, or your husband, but your high priest is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he says he is one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Tempted in all things as we are? But he says without sin. He doesn't fall into sin. See, that's the difference between Jesus' temptation. He was tempted uh, far greater than we were because we give in pretty early where he didn't give in. And so he was tempted, but he didn't sin. 
Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Don't you love that expression, the throne of grace? That the throne in heaven where the Father and Son are seated in power and in responsibility to lead this universe, that is a throne of grace. Grace means, it does mean um, unmerited favor. It means so much more than that. In fact, we're told that when we see grace and glory in Jesus Christ, it will lead us to worship. If you have trouble worshiping Jesus Christ, probably what's happening, it's been my problem in the past, is that uh, we, we don't see his grace like we should. We're not aware of just how full of grace and glory he is. And when we see that, we want to worship him. We're drawn close to him. He says that when we're loved by someone who's loving us like Jesus, we are allowed to be open and transparent. We don't have to pretend to be something else. I grew up, my wife and I grew up in a denomination that was like this, that they had all kinds of rules, they had all kinds of stipulations about how you were to live, and uh, it really did breed legalism because people thought that they were accepted by God because they had reached a certain level of righteousness. And usually you could see it in the difference between people. And so people who really were advanced, they could see that they were much further along than those who were just being themselves and not quite not quite reaching the standard that they should have. And so uh, we can be sure that when we're loved by, by the followers of Jesus, we're going to be loved in such a way that we can be open and transparent. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. And then they'll be open and transparent with you. That's kind of nice when people are open and transparent with you. So he says in uh, John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. We have a friendship with Jesus Christ. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. When you have a friend, that friend will begin to to tell you things that are very personal to him, things that are very important to him. Like in this case, he says, "I I told you all that my Father said to me, because I want you to know my Father. I want you to know who he really is. And um, then they'll also be committed to you. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. (laughs) The American way, be content with what you have. This is what he tells us, that this is what we should do. And the reason is, is because of those that we love as believers. We won't be jealous. And so we will love him and believe him and the works that he did, and he will also do greater works than these through us because he goes to the Father. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with this thought, but it's in the New Testament. It says that the, the works that we do are greater than the works of Jesus Christ. And then he gives a reason much later, and he says it's because he's going to the Father. Because he's at the right hand of the Father, he's in a place of total authority. So the way he works in our lives, he says, produces in us and through us greater love, and greater works than Jesus did while he was on earth. That sounds impossible, doesn't it? But that's what he says. That's what the Word of God says. It says that he has this influence on us, and through us, we're going we're to see greater and greater works through ourselves as we love one another. Now, this little book that says uh, love or die, it, that's a good statement. Love or die, we can't be, we can't be a church of Jesus Christ with legitimacy until we come to the place where we truly love one another. And we love one another the way Jesus would love us. Sometimes there are things in the New Testament that are upsetting to people because they read it, and it seems like Jesus is so, he's too easy on people. 
You know, for example, the woman caught in adultery. Remember what he said to her? After they came, they wanted him to throw the first stone. He wouldn't do it. And then he told them, well, you who have no sin, cast the first stone. Well, he was the only one without sin, but he wouldn't do it. And so they all just walked away. And so he says to her, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. They've left. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. And this, this, this statement is, it shakes people up because Jesus said, neither do I come in you. Go and sin no more. It's an amazing statement, isn't it? Now, don't forget, this is the Lord Jesus Christ who reads hearts. He knows what people are thinking. He knows what the truth is in this situation. And so what he's doing with her, he is encouraging her. He wants to come alongside her and give her strength and the ability to walk in fellowship with the living God. And uh, so the Bible's real clear about this. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. The bondage of sin was the, the bondage we were in before we came to faith in Christ, and we could do nothing but break God's law. We saw every reason that we should. And what happened to us is that we were set free from that bondage, and we were given freedom in Christ Jesus. And so he says, uh, this, is why, this is why when you believe in him, uh, you will be changed by it. You'll be absolutely transformed. What happens to us is at salvation, we're told in several places, is we receive the Spirit. Uh, first, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, it says, uh, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. Because this is what God did for us. He filled us. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could see the truth and that we could be empowered to live the truth. And this is what he wants us to learn to enjoy. He wants us to learn to experience the wonder and glory of being able to walk with him in the power of the Spirit and to love each other. This is probably the greatest commandment of all, that he's called us to love each other. All you've got to do is look around the room and say, I'm supposed to love these people? Yeah. That's what he's done. He's put you in the body of Christ so that you could love one another the way Christ has loved you. Be willing to lay down your life for each other. It seems impossible, but this is exactly what he's called us to do. And so we see in these passages that this, this is exactly the love from people who love Christ looks like in the lives of others. We live in our relationship with them so that we're, they are accepted just the way that they are and that we are going to be accepted the way we are as well, so we can be honest. I, th I think I've probably said this too many times, but I heard this thing on the radio a few weeks back, and it just blew me away. The guy was a pastor, and he said, you know, um, I am so tired of my sinfulness, and I'm so tired of having to hide it, and I wish it, I would just be exposed, and people would know exactly how weak I am, and so I could stop worrying about trying to figure out how to hide what I really am and who I really am. Uh, I was blown away that he would say this on the radio. I would think his congregation would probably call him together and say, do you think you should really be a pastor if you're living, if you have that much weakness? But the fact is, we have been saved to experience the empowerment of the Spirit to walk in the Spirit and to fulfill the will of Christ and to glorify Christ in the way we live and the way we love. I got to tell you that the most impressive thing about a local church is how much they love each other. That's it. That's the most important thing. It's not the building. It's not the pastor. It's not uh, how great everything looks. It's do we love each other? Are we loving one another? And are we willing to lay down our lives for each other? Are we willing to, which means more than simply saying, I'll die for you. It means I'll live for you. I will, uh, I will serve you. I will have a servant's heart towards you. 
I'll see you as one of those that God's put in my path, and I'm supposed to be a servant to you. That is, I will tell you the truth about Christ and the truth about who he is and what he's doing in your life and how he wants to use you. I think we're all amazed that as we see God work in other people's lives, um, and we sometimes wonder, I can remember when I first met a guy that uh, we lived over in San Pablo, and this a couple of people that were part of a home Bible study, which I'd never heard of. So we started going, and I was blown away that these ordinary people could actually talk about Christ. They could actually talk about him in biblical terms and talk about the, the glory and the goodness of having come to faith in Christ and coming to believe that he really had died for our sins and he had and was buried and resurrected. And so this is, this is what God wants to see in our lives. He wants to see the true greatness of the church of Jesus Christ being the way we love each other, the way we manifest the love of Christ towards one another. How can we do that? Well, it's because Jesus died for our sins, and he was buried and rose again, and he sent his spirit. Remember that on the—I've mentioned this on the Feast of Tabernacles— it was about them wandering in the wilderness and how God provided their food and water and light and, and leadership, that is, led them through the desert. And uh, he says to them, if anyone's right in the middle of the, this down day, it was the great day of the feast, which was the last day. So it was the day they rested pretty much. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. <laughs> he says this to the whole, it says he raised his voice. He shouted so they could hear him. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And what he was talking about, of course, because he says so in the next few verses, he's talking about spiritual life. If, if anyone is thirsty for spiritual reality of the Spirit, then come to me and I'll give you rest. And he says, he who is believing in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Well, what would you want rivers of living water for? Well, to, to feed, to give to thirsty people, that's what. And the point is, is he's not talking about physical water. He's talking about the water of life, the fact that we can love one another. We can manifest to each other who Christ is and what Christ is doing and how Christ feels about us. Isn't it wonderful to find out that Christ actually cares for you and that he's not put off by all your weaknesses? He knows many more of them than you do, but he's not put off by them because he has paid a price. He has done a work that deals with all of those sins. There is no sin in your life that he has not dealt with. And he wants you to live your life out of that reality. And that frees you up to love one another because loving each other is probably the greatest uh, challenge we have from God. He has told us it's not you can't smoke or drink or, or uh, go with girls that do and that kind of stuff. It, you, you have to love each other the way Christ loved you. And that's the great challenge, and we can only do it in the power of the Spirit. How could we possibly love each other unless the Spirit of God empowered us to do that? It would be impossible. And so we look to the Spirit to work in our lives and to empower us, enable us to love each other the way He has loved us. And so that's the reason that we are able to uh, make sure that our character is free from the love of money. It's because we love each other more than we love money or the things that money can buy. And uh, we're also told in Hebrews 13 that they'll be committed to you. Make sure that your, your character is free from the love of money so that you don't love something more than you love them. And he says to them, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I'll never abandon you. So you don't have to worry. My wife knows that one of my biggest weaknesses is I, it's really hard for me not to worry. Worry is just a... Uh, 
uh, something that I'm so prone to. Every time I get something on the telephone, a mobile phone or something, and it's telling me to do something, I'm scared to death I'm going to do the wrong thing. And I worry about it. But he says, don't worry. In fact, what he says in the New Living Translation, the way they translate it is, um, don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. Pray about everything. And give God, tell him what you need, and give him thanks for what he's done. That's, that's what he wants to do. He wants us to orient our lives toward him. And in orienting our lives towards him, we are called to love the way he loves. So we're to love those that he's put into our lives. In fact, it says in, uh, in chapter 15 of John, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that he may lay down his, that he lay down his life for his friends. Well, that's what Jesus said. You have to love one another the way I've loved you. And what did he do for us? He laid down his life for us. He was willing to lay down his life in order to give us exactly what we needed, which was a, which was a freedom from this sin that drags us down and uh, causes us so much trouble. He's told us how we can live our lives in freedom. And guess what? This is how he says to take care of sin. It amazes me. He says, um, this is how you take care of sin in your life. Please don't tell me you don't have any, any problem with sin, because I would know your problem was lying. But we obviously have problems with sin in our lives, but he says, this is how you take care of it. You confess your sin. And he says, those who confess their sin... They will be forgiven their sin and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Now, why is that? It's because Christ died for us. It's because the penalty has been paid and we have been set free. And so he says, I want you to live out this reality in your everyday life so that when you do uh, struggle with sin, you can come to me and say, Father, I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. And I'm so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the fact that he died for me. And there's no class of sin that's, that's eliminated from there. Every kind of sin I could, would ever fall into is in, is in that very definition. I'm to confess it. Now, confess, you can tell by those two, those, it's a compound word, confess. Con is a word that is, is uh, uh, it comes from a word for together. Uh, and the idea is with one another, confess. So, and you, you guys from Oklahoma, you know what to, it is to fess up, right? Maybe there's nobody from Oklahoma here, but we fess up. We we tell the truth, and uh, the the point is is that confession is when I say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. I don't beg Him for forgiveness. I don't try to make Him feel sorry for me. I used to do that, but I don't make Him feel sorry for me. I simply tell Him the truth, Father. I've done exactly what You've commanded me not to. And I want you to know I've done that, and I know that Christ is, and I thank you for the forgiveness that comes through Christ. That's what he's told us to do. And so one of the things, one of the sins that comes sometimes shows up in our lives is a lovelessness. That's why Strzok is saying he would title this book, Love or Die, because we can't, we can't live as the church of Jesus Christ unless we love one another. It's impossible. It's impossible to live out the Christian life without loving each other. And loving each other is a difficult task unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God fills you, is the term used, and it means that he, he gives you all the power that you need to fulfill this commandment from Christ to love one another. There's nobody in the, in the body of Christ who can't love other fellow believers. It's just we need to learn how to do it. We need to learn that we can trust him to empower us and to lead us and to use us to love one another. Now, we're living in really difficult times. I think everybody's very aware in this pandemic. We, uh, 
we find that after days and days and days that it's this really gets old, doesn't it? I mean, it's a wonderful thing that our brother has opened and sister has opened their home for us to come and meet together because we're in a situation now where there are so many people who never get to be in a setting like this and to be encouraged and to be helped by one another. But this is what God has called us to do. And so he wants you to take advantage of it and to love one another. And sometimes loving each other is simply expressing your care and your concern. The word love, agape, has in it is, is a, a great, a strong, uh, a strong emphasis on the fact that it is selfless. It's love that I give out because I care about the person. It's a manifestation of my care for you if I love you, and if I don't love you, it's because I care more about myself than I do you, which would be a foolish, foolish thing for me to do. So God has called us to love one another, and this is what it's going to look like. It's going to look like this, that we will be obeying the commandment of Christ, in fact, the great commandment to his people, and uh, you'll be open and transparent with the one you're loving. So you don't have to hide anything. You can be open and honest. I still remember one time I had such, it, it brought me such a deep pleasure because I was, I was, going, to, uh, I was going to Western Baptist Bible College, and uh, fair, they were fairly legalistic, and near, not near as what I had grown up in, so it didn't didn't bother me much, but um, but we were we to say that I want to tell you the truth about my life would be something that was, would seem foolish and folly, because we were trying to figure out how to hide our sin, how to keep it out of sight so nobody could see it. Now that that's not the same as as turning to Christ and receiving forgiveness and and abandoning the sin. It was simply saying this is the way that you deal with it. You hide it. You don't let people see it so that you can comfortably stay in your sin, but nobody's going to be bothered by it if they don't know it. And I remember one time a guy was talking to me, and I was quite impressed with him because he was very honest and straightforward. He passed a little church up in Oakland, and he wanted to take me over there to see his where he pastored. So I did. I went with him, and I couldn't get over our conversation that he was not afraid to tell me the truth about his own struggles and his, his, the truth about his desire to grow in Christ and to become more of a person who loves the way Christ loved. And this is what God has called us to do. He's called us to love each other. And sometimes it starts very simply. If you just simply uh, express from your heart with your mouth, in other words, make noise and actually express the fact that you care about a person and you care about what's going on in their life. And so we, you know, we have these times of prayer and we pray for people that are going through difficult times. And when we talk to them, sometimes we're just amazed. Wow, I feel so bad for this person because they're, they're really going through some difficult times. Well, show them your love for them. Sometimes all it takes, the, the most blessed thing to them, is if you simply drop them a note, drop them a card and let them know, that, you know, I've been praying for you. I'm concerned for you. And I understand the kind of struggle you're going through. And I pray that God would really work on your life. Don't be hesitant to do that. God has empowered you to do that. Uh, he has given you a spiritual gift so that you can build up one another. And, and you can, you can uh, be used by God to minister to his people. So get engaged in that. And don't, don't draw back. Get involved and let God use you. You all have your own strengths. In uh, 1 Peter, it says that, as each one has received a gift. So we consider that phrase meaning everybody has received a gift. 
He says, as each one has received a gift, use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I need to explain to you what a steward is. A steward was a servant whose responsibility was to dispense all the goods that the master of the house provided, but to get it to get them to the right people, the food to the right people, the clothing to the right people, and so forth. And so he says, this is why you've been given a gift, is so that you can dispense the manifold grace of God. Why would he call it that? Well, he would call it that because this that's exactly what it is. It's a multicolored expression of God's heart towards his people. And he wants you to be a messenger that brings that message and brings that that product of the manifold grace of God into their lives. He wants you to show them grace. I remember Ryan Rippey telling me that he had been led to Christ by a woman in our church that I'd known for years. In fact, her husband, I think, was a cousin of my wife. And um, he said that she was the one who told him about the love of Christ at a youth camp that he went to. And he was so overwhelmed by it. He he said, I've been in church my whole life, but for some reason that day when she told me that, I couldn't, I couldn't get over the fact that God had loved me and he had sent his son to die for me so that I could have life and I could have a relationship with him. And he came to faith in Christ. And I remember when I saw her, I told her about it. And she remembered, <laughs> which had been quite a few years back. And this is how God wants to use you. And he wants, he wants you to realize that God will use your life in order to fill people's hearts with love for you as well. And they'll manifest the kind of love that Christ manifests. And so this is what he's called us to. So we ought to be looking for ways in the scriptures of how we are to love each other. The Bible's filled with information and help in telling us how to love one another and how that the, the, the issues of life, the very things that we, we experience in life, are a part of his plan and his purpose for you to be an agent of the living God in the lives of people. He wants you to love them. Jesus Christ loved them to the point of sacrificing himself, and he wants you to love him with the same kind of love, but you're not, it's not going to be on such a grand scale. It's going to be very personal, and it's going to be important. So I pray that God will use you and give you that, that desire and that heart to lay down your life for one another. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for your loving kindness towards us. We thank you for the way that you have shown that you love us more than you love all the negatives about us. We are so grateful, Father, that your heart for us it surprises us. It overwhelms us at times, but we are grateful and we are thankful. And we pray that you would motivate us, Father, to be your agents in the lives of fellow believers. We pray that you would teach us how to love one another the way Christ loved us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.